The following episode of The Passionistas Project was recorded during the Screen Actors Strike of 2023. Certain project names were omitted to be in accordance with SAG rules. Hi, we're sisters, Amy and Nancy Harrington, the founders of The Passionistas Project podcast. We've created an inclusive sisterhood where passion-driven women come to get support, find their purpose, and feel empowered to transform their lives and change the world. On every episode, we discuss the unique ways in which each woman is following her passions, talk about how she defines success, and explore her path to breaking down the barriers that women too often face. Today, we're talking with Patricia Ray, a professional actor for the past 35 years. An outspoken activist for racial and gender equality, she's struggled to make Latinas visible in a positive light in television and film. Her big break came in an Oscar-nominated film where she portrayed a Colombian immigrant living in New York City. She's also a fine artist, a Reiki healer, and now she can add podcaster to her resume with the inception of the lively podcast, Believe This, where she and co-host Chris Crummy have created a safe space to hash out good faith arguments on hot topics and social issues from their different perspectives while still remaining friends. So please welcome Patricia Ray. Hello, everyone. Hello, ladies. Oh, and you you resemble each other so much, but you have different like energies, which is super cool. That's very true. That's very true. Thanks for picking up on that. Um, we uh, we're happy to have you here today. We're really excited to talk to you about everything that's going on in your life and beyond. Um, and uh, but we always like to start every podcast with the same question, which is what are you most passionate about? Um, creativity. I was born a creative being. I think we're all born creative beings as children. That's what we do. We create, we invent, we like, we let our mind and our spirit explore and be bigger. It it allows us to think bigger and dream and, um, and uh, project, manifest what we could be in the future. And then as adults, we start to edit these thoughts, you know, people start to tell you, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. You look silly. Or you shouldn't sing. Your voice isn't pretty enough. Or you, you shouldn't act like that or dress like that. My mother, fortunately, um, she did have reservations, but I was just unstoppable. There was no curbing my enthusiasm for creativity. So she kind of was like, whatever. They used to call me Patty La Loca, which is Patty the crazy one, which they still call me that. So I'm the only like artist really in my family. My sister, my middle sister's a nurse. I'm the oldest. And my little sister's actually a sheriff in Ventura County. But um, they're both creative people and all of their children are creative. They paint, they write. Whenever they would come to my house, I always broke out the watercolors. So they've been just conditioned to to have that as a part of their life, their universe, you know, a, a voice. I find I find that creativity is is our voice in another dimension and another color. It allows us to use all of our hues. You know, I, I when I'm healing people because I'm a Reiki healer, I'm a Reiki master, and I've been um, a therapeutic like. Um, yoga practitioner and teacher for more than 10 years I always tell my clients um use all your colors don't paint with one color 
God gave us everything. He gave us the rainbow. Use it all. Because when we are creating, we are raising our vibration. We are connecting to the universe at the same we're meeting the universe's vibration. And that's such a therapeutic healing modality that people are almost ashamed to use as adults. They they always say, well, I, I, I can't draw, I can't sing, I can't dance. The only one, the only thing that you can't do is, you know, what you tell your mind you can't do. Maybe you don't do it the best, but you can get better at anything. So. What was that little girl like? When did you first start tapping into that creativity or was it something that you always connected to? I can't even tell you if I remember a time when I wasn't singing or dancing or drawing or doing something put you know making my dolls be like the host of a show and I was the actress or I just I think it's my father was a really funny person and he had an enormous personality everybody loved him he was like a light and I was just born with my light on some people have to find their light and some people just gravitate to the light. They're already like uh, intuitively turned on. And that doesn't mean that you can't find your light or your voice or your vehicle for, for creativity. It just some people don't connect with it right away. They have to kind of search for it. But I was just born like if my I probably came out of my mother's womb like singing and dancing and you know I just like to make people laugh so <laughs> I don't remember a time when I didn't want to do something that engaged people and made them smile that's excellent so when was the moment that you realized that you wanted to focus on acting and what did that path look like well from when I was watching Sesame Street on TV and I Love Lucy and the Carol Burnett show and the Electric Company, I already knew that I wanted to do that. How did they do that? You know, um, I had to learn English in school. So I came from a Spanish speaking home. Uh, so it was very hard for my mom to kind of connect to the fact that I saw a different life for myself, you know, that I saw myself, that I had immersed myself in a different language and that I never dream in Spanish. I don't, I automatically think in English. So once I, I started learning English, I would come home and say, don't talk to me in Spanish because I'm American. <laughs> my mother was like, oh, great. <laughs> A body la loca. Now she doesn't want to speak Spanish. <laughs> but um, so right away, as soon as I got to uh, kindergarten, they were doing this like little parade in the um, courtyard where they had uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I was one of the dwarfs. And I just was like, I love this. I want to be this. I want to be this all the time. I want to get dressed up. I want to. And that was it. Then I just 
every time I went, I, I moved a lot around a lot uh, from when I was young because my, my mother remarried quite often. We won't say how many times. <laughs> Five. <laughs> so um, I came from a, you know, a broken home. So everywhere I moved, I, I kind of had to reinvent myself. That added to my um, also my need, my need to kind of fit in with people. So if I lived in an Italian neighborhood, I wanted to be an Italian. If I lived in a, you know, Spanish neighborhood, I wanted to be Spanish. If I lived in a Jewish or my best friend was Jewish growing up, I thought everybody ate matzo ball soup. You know, I didn't want I didn't want to be Colombian. You know, I didn't want to eat Colombian food. I wanted to integrate myself into America and be American. So then once I got to school, I and and I realized that you could perform in, in scripted things. It just never stopped. I went on. And then in high school, I was in the theater club. And, and then when I got to college, I said, okay, well, obviously I'm going to major in theater. But when I got to college, I went to Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida, which is the oldest city in the United States. And I got in the theater program. That was the first time I really, besides high school, I started to kind of get a, a hint of it, but where I really started to see racism and, and uh, color casting. You know, because I would audition for the plays and I never got any of the speaking roles. I would be, you know, if they were doing a Greek play, I'd be in the Greek course. So I took a, a, a like a English interpretation kind of writing speaking class. And I did um, a, a, I performed a play. Um, Gosh, not a play, sorry, a poet, a poem by that. The guy who created that show Cats, I forget his name. I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> the guy who created Cats, he's a Andy famous. No, no. Oh, Sorry. who wrote the play? I mean, who wrote the poem? Yes, exactly. Uh, anyways, so I performed this poem out loud in the, in the auditorium. And after that performance, mind you, it was just a poem. I was just reading it out, out loud, but I enacted all the characters and all the cats and everything. My drama teacher came up to me and she said, you know what? I really am going to ask for your forgiveness. I really did not give you the roles that you should have gotten. And uh, it's a shame because you're a really talented young woman. And I, I dropped the ball, basically, is what she said. So after that semester, I realized that, you know, if I was going to encounter this kind of already casting kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, racism, for the lack of a better word, I said, oh, well, I'm just going to go out into the world and and start plugging away because if in college I have to do this and I have to pay for it, I'm just going to go to an acting school in New York and just start trying to work. So I, I dropped out of Flagler College. I enrolled myself in the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute in New York because my favorite actress in the world went there, Marilyn Monroe, of course. <laughs> I didn't really understand that there was different styles of acting and different methods. 
I didn't, it, so I ended up studying Stanislavski method, which is very, very intense kind of acting modality or system. And I, in class, I realized that there were what I called like the lifetime student, the student that studied and studied. How long have you been here? Oh, I've been here for four years, four years, Jesus. Um, why are you still here? Why aren't you out there working? You know, because that, that was always my goal, go out and work, you know. And uh, once I finished my program, which was like an 18 month program, but it took me about two and a half, three years to finish it because I, I would stop and go home because at that time, I, my family lived in Florida, even though we were originally from New York. So I was really in, in New York by myself. I didn't have a support system. So I'd get really lonely. So I'd go home and then I'd come back. And then once I left school, I started working immediately. So um, at 19, I was cast in a, a really, really popular 80s TV show, which we can't mention, obviously, because of the strike. <laughs> but um, and I went literally from having absolutely no credits to getting a guest star role on a hugely popular TV show and joined SAG. So that's how my journey really started. But you would think, you know, oh my goodness, that that I was discovered. No, then it took me years and years and maybe almost a decade to just start working on television steadily, you know? So first of all, T.S. Eliot. Oh my God, thank you, <laughs> T.S. Eliot, yes. I kept thinking C.S. Lewis, no, that's <laughs> Thank you, Amy, T.S. Eliot. You're welcome. Um, so do you think that gap in from that first big TV show to kind of you're saying 10 years of really kind of until the, the next big moment, um, do you think that's just a typical typical being an actress or do you think that was partly due to your background and, and systematic racism in the world, let alone the industry? I think a couple of factors contributed to that. Number one, I virtually stepped into a role that I could play, but then I didn't realize, I didn't know how to harness the opportunity. I was too young. It's the first, I didn't even have headshots at that point. So that happened. Then, and, and I was living actually in Miami when I booked that role. Because I went to the set as an extra and I asked the casting director if I could read for this role that they were casting on the set that day. And I booked it. So when I went back to New York, the only connection I had to like a big casting director was in Florida. She couldn't even help me anymore. So I kind of had to start all over again, almost like if I had no credits. So that's what happened. So then I had to kind of break into um Spanish commercials once I because I needed an agent so the easiest way to get a, an agent for actors is to get a commercial agent you don't really need a resume to get to start in commercials you just have to have a look so and I spoke Spanish so that was how I got my first agent and she happened to do theatrical and television casting so she segued me into that 
to one of those franchise series that have about, you know, crime that have been going on forever and ever. That's when I, I started to that I used as my springboard to, to jump into my career again, or the next phase of my career. So then you're still in New York at this point. So when did you make the move to LA? What prompted that? Well, um, I was on every show I could be in at that point in New York, all the New York shows. uh, And at that time, film was kind of, you know, starting to develop and expand. But I always had my mind on L.A., you know, L.A., I'm going to go to L.A., you know, I'm going to get discovered in L.A. So it took me a very long time to get to L.A. because I had a daughter when I was 23. So in the so not only did I start my career again. After the, you know, big thing that happened to me at 19, then I had a baby. So then I had to be a mom and oh and and a struggling actress so that that's why maybe it took me 10 years to get to LA at, at that point because I was struggling to um to kind of piece money together I was a waitress I was a bartender my uh, ex-husband owned a restaurant I learned how to bartend I tried to gain some skills that I could use um, out out west and when I finally got out here my daughter was around maybe like 13 or 14 and then 9-11 happened so that set my career back again because nobody wanted to come to California because they're you know New York was a big target city and then my my parents kept saying well you're gonna move from one target city to another are you crazy so they put that doubt in my head and I I I was like you're right what am I doing because I was gonna leave my daughter with her father her birth father you know not her birth father the sperm donor I used to call him Okay. He'll never listen to this anyways. <laughs> um, though he did turn out to be a great dad, <clears throat> but we did not stay together. He, she was going to go live with him because she never lived with him. I, I raised her. He was a weekend dad. So I, I was like, well, I'm not, I can't leave her with her father and move to California. That's very selfish of me, you know, to go chase my dreams. How dare I? So then my daughter said to me, mom, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, why aren't you going to California? And I said, well, honey, because, you know, it's just not a good time. She she looked at me and I'll never ever forget this moment. She said, are you kidding me? If you don't go to California, I'll kill you. Get the hell out of here. And she gave me the permission to go. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That speaks to the relationship you had and to the, to the kind of mother you must be to, to have taught her how important following your passion is. Exactly. Because that's why my nieces and mine are like, they're singers and dancers and, you know, creatives and they're all in college, but they're pursuing careers not, not just in the arts, but also like activism and things like, you know, that really push their 
feminine point of view forward and their voices. They were both uh, raised in San Francisco. And they really contribute a lot of that journey to me because they say, well, you always taught us to be brave and follow our dreams. And we see your struggle, you know, I mean, it's not easy to be a young mom and an actress and single and uh, working a, uh, you know, a restaurant job, a service job, but I never gave up, you know, I mean, I'm like, here I am on a strike line now in my fifties. And um, I just don't, I don't believe that you have to kill your dreams in order to satisfy a financial need. You know, you can, if you have to be a bartender because you want to be a musician, well, that's what you have to do. You know, if you, if you want to be a painter, then be a painter, you know, be, a, if you want to knit, knit. Who, who are we to squash our light? What is your process? You studied, it's a very serious uh, methodology that mm -hmm. you studied. So talk us through kind of your creative process. I used to be like a really uh, strict kind of method actress, you know? really delve into my emotions and recreating my traumas so I could live them through this character. And then I spent 20 years crying on television. As a Latina actress, we I've played a lot of victims. So my child gets, you know, falls down an elevator shaft, gets shot in a drive-by. My husband gets kidnapped and tortured. Um, you can imagine. So I realized that I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to drag my past with me every time I need to do a crying scene because I, I could be crying for hours, especially in a movie, you know, where you're doing, you know, take after take after take and do doing the different sizes the wide then the closer and closer the two shot the over so i started to learn how to save my emotion till i was on camera when i'm what tell me when the money shot is i'll give you the money tears then i would be like okay so how can i arrive at this without having to torture myself every time you know i need to cry so I kind of just started to substitute my emotions with real, uh, my real emotions with emotions that I've felt before, but emotions that I, I could kind of uh, connect to that were part of this character, not just they weren't mine. You know, that wasn't my trauma. It was me living this character's trauma so that I could drop it. You know, when I was, when, when they say cut, okay, I'm not, I'm not reliving my, my childhood. I'm reliving this woman's trauma, which I can connect to because I've had a lot of trauma in my life, but I don't have to stay in it all day. I don't have to be like immersed in it. Then I, you know, and, and then you come across a lot of actors who have studied different methods, Meisner. And um, uh, so my husband, Matteo Roboto, he's a filmmaker and he studied with Aaron Spizer, Spizner. And they, I really liked the method 
that they use, you know, just really like using your reality, being in the room, connecting moment to moment, talking and listening. Um, so I kind of do like an amalgamation of different things, whatever I feel is appropriate for them for the moment. So I, I always use a different recipe. It doesn't have to be the same anymore, you know, because I trust my instrument now. Love that. So you've also done done some producing. So what do you like about working behind the camera as opposed to in front of the camera? Proactive. It allows me the opportunity to create. I don't have to sit at home waiting for somebody to tell me you're talented, you can write, you can act, you can, no, I can, and I will. That's it. You're not getting hired. Go produce a a show, a play, a one woman show, go read some plays, T.S. Eliot plays, you know, go get into a class, sign up for a theater company, do a podcast, write a book, write a journal, uh, do a blog. I've done everything. You know, I don't, I don't allow, I don't need people's permission to be creative. I don't need you to allow me to be creative. I am creative. I don't express my creativity. I get sad. I get anxious. I get frustrated. I get angry. As a healer, this is one of the reasons why I got into yoga is because because of the method acting and all of that stuff, you start to like really carry around, around a lot of your childhood trauma because you're immersing yourself into it all the time. And so I was trying to find a way to release it, to not have to experience it in my body. Cause I was really, it was getting into my cells and my organs. I felt like I was, it was becoming a, a part of my DNA. So I started to really connect to yoga because it was a way to turn my light on to go back and to connect to things that that help you heal that help you remember that you're bigger that you're bigger than just yourself your body you're a part of a universe that we're all connected that we're all spiritual beings that led me to I wanted to teach it because I thought it was such a beautiful way to to journey through life, you know, to be able to touch people and to be connected, to be a part of something. To, be. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. And my grandmother was a super, super religious Catholic woman. And I was raised very, very Catholic. I had to pray for everything. If anything went wrong in my life, she's like, Parisita, diga, diez ave marias, reza el rosario. Everything was about the rosary and go and pray. And, and I was like, oh, I can't live like that because for me, the Catholicism is very judgmental and I don't believe there's room for judgment in spirituality. There's no room for judgment. We all make mistakes. We're all human. We're all supposedly uh, born in Christ's likeness or whatever religion that you believe in. And he, he didn't judge, you know? So why is, why is the church judging? So that really uh, sent me on a new path, a new journey. And through that, I was able to really expand my, um, my acting, my craft, because I was allowing myself to fail, allowing myself to not, um, not feel guilty because I had, um, a, a traumatic past. I was allowing myself to heal, to forgive, 
Because when you're using your past in your work, you have to hold on to that anger if someone's wronged you, right? So it doesn't allow you to forgive it. It doesn't. So as an adult, you get, you have all these clogged energy, all of this crisis that's constantly, you're reliving to use it to be, it's like your tools. And I just didn't think that was a great way for me to live. And it made me very bitter and very angry and very sad. So yes, that's why I produce, going back to the question, I produce because because you, like, look at you ladies, you were, you were in another career and then you felt you, you had a voice, you had something to say, something you wanted to engage with. You wanted to highlight people who had like-minded passions and you did something about that because you didn't allow people to tell you, you could only be one thing. You can't, you can be so many things and so many creations and you re reincarnate yourself so many times in life. Um, if, if you fail at something, that's okay, because it'll help you learn in the next phase of your life. Nothing is a failure. So my husband is exactly like that. They, he started off as an actor and he's not a very tall person, beautiful, very handsome, beautiful teeth, but he just never, he didn't work. You know, Hollywood just didn't, didn't give him the opportunity so he said i'm gonna take the opportunity he put his first short film on a credit card and then he just became a filmmaker he said i'm gonna write my stories i have something to say i don't need you to tell me that i i don't have a story i don't need you to you know to hire me to tell a story i'm gonna do it myself and so once i i met him on a film and uh, we stayed friends and then we collaborated on some of his scripts that he was writing. And then I was like, well, I want to, I want to help you. You know, you're such a passionate person. I want to help you make these projects. I want to be, I want to make things. I want to create, I want this to be another branch of my journey. So I started producing with him. So we've produced, you know, several films together uh, he's working right now in the backyard on um, a, a director's cut of a film that has already been released that I helped him produce. I play a character in it, um, but he recut the film, you know, because you learn, you know, and if as you learn, you learn how to edit and not just like physical editing, like on Avid, but edit as a storyteller. And I think he, this journey really, when he came to the end of it, he realized that he could tell that story better. And he went back and he cut the film and he, and he got another opportunity to put it back out on SVOD and streaming um, because he um they kind of dropped the ball on on their end and they were like well we're gonna allow you to put it the director's cut up without charging you for it because we we messed up oh that's great so it's coming out i can't tell you the name of it <laughs> but i play a clairvoyant in it <laughs> what we're gonna do is when the strike is over we're going to have you back on and you're going to be able to fill in the blanks. And we're going to re-release this episode with the actual show and movie title. 
we'll put all of the show names in the show notes and link out to that oh, and after link, the strike is over i know this is so ridiculous isn't it i mean i have my uh my show that that's coming back that i've been on for three seasons finally announced it's coming back in the fall but i can't tell you which show it is but i play a judge <laughs> mm. <laughs> which do a little which, detective work and figure it out you can figure it out imdb yeah. um, imdb people so just yeah. <laughs> but even that journey took me 35 years you know to be able to play a, a latina on television that was educated that had you know that brings something to society that encourages other young uh people marginalized women to reach you know, dream big to go out there to get education, to strive to better their lives. So rarely do you see that on television. Um, still, it's just remarkable. I mean, it's um, it's just not only am I striking for our rights as performers and as actors, but also as marginalized people, because there's still so much racism so much ageism like i i can't believe that in other countries women of mature women who have so much to give so much to offer so much knowledge they're not featured in movies they're not featured in series in 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 Ireland, all of these shows where the 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 lead is a female of a you know of a, a you know higher age, not in America. And if she is, then she has to have like a a co star that's younger. So talk about that more though. Um, you know, as a little girl, you you talked about the shows that really spoke to you. And one of them was Electric Company. So I'm assuming potentially that Rita Moreno may have been somebody at least uh, that you could see on television. But that's one person I can think of. Yeah. Um, well, there was Sonia, I guess, on Sesame Street. But mm -hmm. so you're, you watch, you know, how many hours of television a day and there are a couple people. So you are fighting for the rights of marginalized people to have more opportunities how do we make it better how, what do we what can people outside of the industry do to show the the studios and networks that we want more of that we want more diversity in the storytelling we have to watch the product that is put out there by um you know BIPOC artists we have to champion it and we have to institute programs that encourage them to create, to write, to become, um, you know, part of be below the line, you know, to become executives, people that make decisions, you know, people that can green light projects. That's the only way. You have to keep encouraging young people of color to write and create and go out there and have their voices heard and then people of color need to green light these projects so they have to there have to, there has to be like a mentorship programs where these people can get in positions where they can make change 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about another creative arm of your tree. Um, I'm like a Medusa. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've also published a children's book. I did. So talk a little bit about that and what inspired you to do that. Because I'm, like I said, when I am not creating, I'm sad. I feel like I'm a flower with no sun. Um, and I had a friend. I have a friend, actually, Marlene Forte, that you've um, had on your podcast. Wonderful, wonderful actress. Very good friend of mine. I've known her for over 35 years. Her husband is a playwright, a creative writing professor at USC. And he wanted to write a book, a children's book about his dog, because they lived on campus. They lived on the USC campus for many years, like I think 14 years. So he grew up on campus from when he was a puppy, Donaldo. And he wanted to write a book about a dog who lived on campus because everybody loved him. Everybody knew Donaldo. They would wave. They, he was such a popular with the ladies, very popular. And he was looking for someone to, to um, draw the story for him. So he had gotten in touch with somebody else and she never came through. You know, she said, oh, I'd love to. I mean, she's an artist as well, this woman. Um, but she just didn't, she didn't follow through. So uh, Marlene said to Oliver, you know, Patty draws, you know, she's an artist. Why don't you ask her? And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, you know what? Don't ask Oliver to ask me. I'll just draw him something. And that's what I did. I said, what was done? And, and I started sketching and drawing and drawing. And let me tell you something, ladies. It was awful. It was like I was drawing with my feet. It was the ugliest dog I'd ever seen. But my husband said, don't you dare throw those drawings away because I want you to keep drawing and see your, see your journey because that's going to inspire you. I was like, oh, I hate when you're right. <laughs> so I didn't throw them away. And I kept drawing and drawing and drawing. Uh, I like to uh, set goals for myself, you know. Um, and then one day, I, my, because to me, drawing is seeing, right? You can't draw what you don't see. So I kept seeing, I'm just not seeing. I'm not seeing him. I have to keep drawing him until my hand sees what my eyes see. I found him. My hand found him. And then one day I drew, I paint. It wasn't the best, but it was better. So, so much better. I could see Donaldo in it now, you know? And I painted it. And I sent it to Oliver. I did maybe like one or two paintings because I wanted it to really have this like um, uh, very classic kind of watercolor um, vintage look. I thought that that's what I was going for. I didn't want it to look AI generated, digital, cartoony. I wanted it to look like it had flaws, like someone really drew it. I sent it to Oliver and he was like, oh my God, this is amazing. 
And we just started collaborating and we, and three books later, you know, I didn't give up. And that I tell that story a lot when we read the book to kids and in schools. And I tell them, you know, you want to do something, you know what, you're going to be, you're not going to be that good in the beginning, but you're going to get better and don't ever give up. If there's something in your heart that you want to do, you have to keep doing because you always get better. So as if all those things that you do weren't enough, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you also started a podcast. So tell us about the podcast. This was a long journey, ladies, really long journey. Several years ago, I wanted to branch my healing practice out. And I started toying with doing a healing podcast. So my pragmatic husband was like, well, listen to podcasts. You know, you don't know what it's, you know, what's out there. Start listening. And I did. I started listening to all these healing podcasts. And I was like, I got really discouraged. I, it did the opposite. It didn't encourage me. It discouraged me. I was like, oh my God, there's so many healing podcasts. Nobody wants to know what I have to offer, you know? Um, so after toiling within, kind of doing an opening and then trying to get up, you know, how would I do it? What, what platform? I'm not good, you know, with computers and how do I record it? I just let it intimidate me and I kind of put it to rest. But I had reached out to a friend of mine that I knew through Twitter, Chris Crummy. He had a podcast. His podcast was called Come and Get Some. And it was based, um, he interviewed a lot of people who had been victims of Scientology. But he was a big fan of mine from a TV show that I was on, which I can't mention. <laughs> but it was about a young, goofy guy who was in love with a blonde bombshell. And, um, and I played his best friend's mom. An excellent well, show for those who know what she's talking about. <laughs> um, so I reached out to Chris because, you know, we were not, I never met him in person, believe it or not. But, you know, you know, people, when people are genuine, there's people that you're like, this guy's uh, crazy. I mean, especially when you meet people on social media, you don't know what they're really thinking. I could tell he was a genuine person. He always was like, you're so great. I hope you do well. He was always like encouraging. So I reached out to him. I, I sent him a a private message on Twitter. And I said, Hey, Chris, I'm thinking about doing a podcast on healing. Can you just give me some pointers? Cause I know you already did it because I had encouraged him to do it. He said, I don't know if I could do it. And I kept saying, you could do it. It doesn't matter if it's not good, but you know, you'll get better. So he did it because, you know, he had that support. He had someone telling him, don't worry about it. You know, so I asked him for advice and he told me what kind of mic to get and what to do and blah, blah, blah. But like I said, I didn't follow through. So then about six months, maybe six months, eight months, a year ago, he put a post up on Twitter saying, hey, I really want to do a new podcast. Anybody game? So this is a funny story. So I said, yeah, I'm game. I want to do a podcast. I've been dying to do a podcast. I have things to say. But honestly, I thought he meant a one-off, like to go on with him and like, you know, be as a guest, you know? So we set up a time and I give him my phone number. 
He'd never had my phone number at that point. I gave him my phone number and I said, okay, let's talk about what is this podcast going to be about? So he starts rattling all this stuff off, you know, but about this, about that. And then I start to, it starts to dawn on me. Oh, he means he wants us to be a podcast. Oh, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know. What did I do? Oh my God. I stuck my foot in my mouth. What am I doing? And then I said to myself, don't talk yourself out of it. You wanted to do a podcast. You've been afraid to do it by yourself. Here's somebody who can help you, who's encouraging you to try it. If it doesn't work out, I gave him the same. I gave myself the advice I had given him. If it sucks, you know, well, you tried. Now, the thing that we really needed to like focus in on, what was this podcast going to be about, right? I said to him, listen, I don't want this to be an acting podcast. I'm sick to death about talking about acting. You know, nobody cares. Nobody cares. I've been on a TV show. I don't care. You know, I, I want it to, I want it speak. I want to be able to speak. I want to be able to voice my opinion in a safe place where you can say what you want and I can say what I want and we don't have to agree, but we can debate. We can debate a topic. He goes, I like that. I think I like that. I said, so we can take like a current event or something that's really hot topic, hot button issue. And he lives in Florida. Ron DeSantis land. Hey, there's a lot of hot button issues. Oh there. boy. <laughs> and I live in my, in LA. So actually the funny thing is, is he's super liberal and I'm a little bit more independent, a little bit more conservative. I'm a, you know, I'm not left wing, right wing. I'm just a person, you know, I just like, I, I want to be able to think what I want. I want to be able to say what I want. And I don't want you to say, well, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I'm going to cancel you. You know, I, I'm, don't be my friend on Facebook. I'm like, what happened to people's points of view? America, America, please. You know, I'm not an expert in anything, but I have opinions. I'm going to let you voice yours. I'm going to give you my point of view. We can have a fun, lively discussion about it. And look at it from everyone's point of view. You know, I don't like this kind of whitewashing of like everybody has to be forced to think a certain way. So I thought that would be a great podcast. And so it's called Believe This, you know, because there's so many things out there that you're like, can you believe <laughs> what's going on out there? And to just hash it out and be able to voice your opinion and then at the end say, okay. Uh, you know, give us your opinion, you know, email us, tell us what you think. Did you like it? Did you hate it? You know, what did, was it informative? And from there spring this really safe place to go out there. I mean, remember debate team? We used mm -hmm. to be able to debate things for you, you. You both didn't debate the same side. I mean, that's not a debate. <laughs> And back on debate teams, you didn't even necessarily believe what you were debating. You were given a side and you had, and you to, had to make a case for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's, that's the po uh, podcast in a nutshell. So, that's yeah. Fabulous. And I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, Chris is 
been a little bit um, kind of down because we haven't had like a super lot of listeners. Um, but I said, you know what? First of all, we're doing something, we're creating, we're being active, we're giving social issues a platform, and the listeners will come because if you put out a light, the, the that light emits energy, right? And so it takes time. Everything takes time. I said, don't worry about it. Worry about it being truthful. Worried about worry about being your being your authentic self. That's it. That's all you need. If we ever monetize it, if we ever get hundreds in that, that's not that goal. That was never the goal for me. The goal for me was to have a place where I could voice my opinion and say, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to bash people because they have a different mindset. I, I love to look at things from everyone's perspective and really kind of engage the thought. So we just want to ask one last question to wrap up, um, and it's a doozy. Um, <laughs> but um, what is your dream for women? Um, my dream for my daughter and for my nieces and for all of the women that stand on my shoulders is to go out there and chase your dreams. Don't let anybody tell you that you need somebody that you have, you need a support system. Absolutely. And you need to align yourself with the people that believe that you are the star and the moon and the sun, but you have to know in your heart that you are the star and the moon and the sun, and that we were all put here to shine. Beautiful. That was amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we really love talking with you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me a platform. Um, like I said, I really, I love connecting with people. It's just a part of my journey. Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project and our interview with Patricia Ray. To learn more about her upcoming projects and the Believe This podcast, follow her on Instagram at the Patricia Ray. And be sure to visit thepassionistasproject.com to sign up for our mailing list, find all the ways you can follow us on social media, and join our worldwide sisterhood of women uniting to get support, find their purpose, and feel empowered to transform their lives and change the world. We'll be back next week with another passionista who is defining success on her own terms and breaking down the barriers for herself and women everywhere. Until then, stay well and stay passionate.